Well, church, on this Easter morning, we have a very special story and guest to share with you. Todd Ringness is here. Hi, Todd. Hi, Phil. So glad that you could uh, join us. And uh, you and I were talking recently. You shared this story about, like many families, having Zoom connections over the last little while. Could you tell us the story of what happened when your family did a Zoom call? Well, it was, we had a little bit of warning. My oldest brother, John, he's been into family genealogy and he's been doing this for a long time. And so he actually said that he wanted to do this family Zoom meeting and, and kind of show us what he had discovered. And so we're all like, well, this will be interesting. And you know, some people do that and they're like really into it and some people aren't into it. And it's like, okay, well, let's just, you know. So were you the into it or the not well, into it? Well, I think it? I was sort of down the line, okay, down the okay, middle. It was yeah. like, who knows where what we're going to find out. So I was like, let's find out. So of course now on Zoom, it's me and, and my wife, Gay, we're together, but then everyone else is in their other location. And so bit of a challenge. So he begins the process and he's talking about what's happening or what he found out in his research. And, but we're all sort of like, we're listening and we're like, well, that's interesting, but can you, can you like family trees are better if you sort of see it. So he puts it up on the screen. Well, of course we're looking at little screens. So it was a little tricky trying to tune in. Wow. And so we're trying to listen, but it's like, <laughs> take us down this road. So he starts down this road and it's like, here's the, my, uh, my mother's dad and then his family line which was chase on is his last name and then he starts moving this uh, graph like this family tree on the screen and we're all watching it and it's the generations that came before him so one by one these generations are being revealed and so we're like well this is that's interesting but it really got started to get interesting when suddenly we're in like the i don't know the 1400s or somewhere around there wow. and and now it's like france and so they're all from france and then he's talking about um, like kings and royalty and and so I like, always expected that. <laughs> well, you know, it's about time that it's been revealed. <laughs> but but we're sitting there going, well, that's kind of fun that there's a royalty. And, and my grandfather used to make jokes about him being connected to royalty. So ha ha ha, we laugh it off. But here it actually is showing up in this research wow. that my brother was doing. And so so he keeps moving the screen and just keeps going. And and these years are going by. And you know, it's like another century and another century and and all of a sudden we're down into like the the 900s and the 800s and i'm sitting there and all of a sudden i have this thought it's just like how far back is this really going to go and is it going to go back to like zero where there's wow. you know a big deal and so as he keeps going sure enough it's uh, 500 and then it's 400 ad 300 ad and it's tracking 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 and i'm sitting there and i actually all, i was just all of a sudden struck by is there like this is right back in, we're talking Bible times, you know, where Jesus was alive and walking around. And I'm like, I, I was just struck by that. And I thought, this is amazing all by itself that we're, that we're getting back to that point. And then he kept going and he says, and look, here's where the connection comes. And so at that point in my brain, I'm like, well, where does Jesus show up here in this? Yeah. And all of a sudden there he is. And then there's this connection. It's like, well, what? And honestly, I, I had this feeling of, of, just a wash of emotion and this this sense of awe the sense of wonder because wow. what he my brother tells us and he shows us on this thing is that we're actually related through this process and he goes this person this person this person and then identifies joseph of arimathea joseph and, of arimathea yes, being one of my descendants no who is I'm one, one of, of his descendants who on this easter morning is one of the people he and nicodemus took jesus body down from the cross mm -hmm. that guy so the, he was Mary's uncle, so technically the great uncle of Jesus. We have a picture. 
Well, yeah, well, we, we had to go evidence. digging through the photo, the family <laughs> album, and uh, we found this one. That's him. So I don't know if there's much resemblance there. I think maybe well, if I grew my beard, you're carrying the beard forward, so that's a good thing. <laughs> a bit longer with of the course, beard. This is a historical imagination of what Joseph. Of yeah. he's very, very buff. So. Clearly, you're also yes. uh, repping well. A husky fellow, yeah. yes. But w- what an incredible story. Like, just think, you know, here we are, the interior of BC, 2021, in a pandemic. And sometimes we can think, oh, that Easter story is way, like, did that actually happen? And a genealogical research shows that we have a brother in our midst who is related to somebody who took Jesus' body off the cross. <laughs> that is. is incredible. It is. Wow. It is. I, 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 I think, well, my brother said when he discovered it, he was emotional. Uh, I was too gay. My wife was too. We were just sitting yeah. there just shaking our heads. And yeah, it just makes it this this real thing, this tangibility mm-hmm. um, that I'd, I don't think I'd ever really experienced before. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah, just and, and can lead us to really say, as if we're with the first century church, he is risen. He has risen, risen indeed. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he became nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jésus est Seigneur. Jésus est Seigneur. Jésus est Herr. Jésus est Herr. Jésus est Herr. Resurrection, was that surprising? He is risen. No matter how you say it, Jesus is Lord. Thanks to those of you who lended your uh, heart language gift this morning to us. Jesus is Lord. The Lord is risen. Yeah, that's where you do it. Some of you, if you have my cell number, text me. He is risen indeed. Text me. Want to hear the buzz going on. So, uh, kids, take a look over there. We got an Easter egg going on. That's really, once again, Pastor Phil's poor artwork, but I know you can do a better job. What I want you to do today is draw an Easter egg 
put some names on it. Now you'll see I've got three names there. I've got Musk, not the ox. I was thinking Elon Musk. McDavid, uh, Connor McDavid, hockey guy. Uh, BMO, that's a bank. I've put three names that I think, you know, those are kind of famous, important names these days. What are some important names, kids, that you think of? So in those bottom three rings of your egg, write some names or draw pictures of people that you think are pretty important. And we'll come back to that a little later on this morning. So we're so glad to be together on this Easter Sunday morning, even though things are different and things have changed. So kids, pay attention to that and draw it in there for us this morning. Um, we're always, as always, headed toward a discussion starter at the end of this service today. Uh, this day's one will be this. Tell a story of you taking a knee before the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell a story of you taking a knee before the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that brings back an image in August 2016, Colin Kaepernick, he was the star quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers at the time, he took a knee. And Kaepernick, who was, uh, he had, actually has a white mother and an African-American father, he knelt on one knee before a preseason NFL football game during the U.S. National Anthem to protest what he believed was police brutality and racial inequality in his homeland. His act set off a storm of opinion and reaction. And now we're used to seeing the taking of a knee at many sporting events. And as you'll see in this picture right behind me, you'll, uh, of course, we've seen it in protests that have flooded our streets and our screens over the last few years. And especially over this past year, taking a knee is a symbol and a statement. What would you take a knee for? What would you take a knee for? Daniel Schmachtenberger is a futurist thinker. He's got a great name too, by the way. Which is to say, as a futurist thinker, he thinks about the future, but in a different way than you might be thinking about, you know, what's for Easter dinner or where you'll go once this pandemic is over. Schmachtenberger thinks about the connection between philosophy and science and how we need to think better to make a better future. And he thinks about heartwarming topics like the collapse of civilization. Yeah, he's a really encouraging read. Um, in a talk he gave called Humanity's Phase Shift, Schmachtenberger says something sobering about human beings who have harnessed the power to change and destroy the world. He says this. He says, as technology is giving us the power of gods, we have to get the love and wisdom and understanding of gods or we self-terminate with that power. That's a big task. Now, this brilliant man who uses million-dollar words is really saying that since human beings uniquely have power to create and destroy, our only hope is to act like God. So then the question, which he never answers, becomes this. What is God like? Throughout history, people 
have sought to answer that question. And our answers have shaped the societies that we live in. The Greeks had their mythologies, which we still teach children today in social studies and humanities. Thanks. Somebody just buzzed me. Thank you. Um, Eastern and Oriental cultures have the idea of many gods like Hinduism or the spiritual absorption into nothingness like Buddhism. Indigenous cultures around the world are deeply spiritual. They're more animistic in nature, believing in spirits and in a creator. In the last 150 years or so, religious atheism has shaped parts of our world. The idea that there is no God has shaped uh, whole civilizations like the Soviet Union in the 20th century, and it still is shaping some places. Even our society is increasingly shaped by this idea or more the idea that if there is a God, he can't really be known and God shouldn't be included in real life stuff. It's an agnosticism, really. But ironically, both these atheistic and agnostic societies tend to create a God out of the very systems they create and demand everyone to serve it. And then there are the world's three major religions, all connected in some way to Abraham. You have Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All are monotheistic, the belief in one God. And so Daniel Schmachtenberger's point is relevant everywhere. For humanity's wrestling with the gods has shaped the world we live in and informs what we choose to take a knee to. If we have by our technologies the power of gods and the smartphone that might be in your hand right now or the computer like mine that is in front of me has more power than anyone in previous human history could have imagined is possible and it is an impossible thing without humanity's harnessing of the globe like never before. If these technologies have given us the power of God then we need the love and the wisdom and the understanding of the gods or we will use power to destroy the world and one another. We need a greater power that is outside of us to harness and guide us. This is what the futurist thinker is saying. We need love and wisdom and understanding. Now look at the kneeling man. We come back to the picture. There he is. Look at the kneeling man. This is from the protests in Washington just a few months ago. Um, what changes if love, wisdom, and understanding shape what happens next at that crossroads? What if fear, anger, and hopelessness guide what happens next? We all want love, wisdom, and understanding of the gods, don't we? But what gods Whose gods? What higher idea or what higher power or person can we turn to? Isn't all the soup that we're swimming in the fault of the gods in the first place? That's what some believe. That's one reason why our society is embracing life without gods. They just make a mess of things. But of course, the reality is that the societies that have tried the godless experiment have become some of the most brutal in human history. Are we hooped? What shall we take a knee to? Because we will take a knee to something. And so we swing back to that question. What is God like? 
Schmachtenberger says two fascinating things about what he believes we need if there is to be any hope for the future. First, he says we need to build a new reality, a whole new way of operating. That's one of his solutions. Second, he says that this begins, the new reality begins as individuals, families, small groups, and villages act like citizens of a different world altogether. It starts small, he says, with my own choices and the way that I live with those closest to me. He says this, stop trying to win at the dying game that is killing everything and don't get lost in hopelessness or anger or personal development, but actually be dedicated to the new game that is better for everyone. He also says this, and this is actually very profound. If you can't get along with your family members and ex-partners, and you're pretty sure you're right about things and they're wrong about things, and you think you have an idea about how Israel and Palestine can get along or how the US and China can get along, you are just silly. Hmm. It's easy to protest with a like on social media. It's another thing to live with your family who you've been isolated with for the past year. It's easy to vicariously participate in the world's pain in between commercials on a news channel. It's another thing to befriend your neighbor from another culture. It's easy to follow what feeds your opinions and fears about the world. It's another thing to listen to the story and struggle of someone you disagree with. It's easy to win at the dying game or just be silly. It's another thing to live in the smallest places dedicated to a world that is different. So let's summarize the questions on this Easter morning, shall we? What or who do you take a knee to? What does a new way of living look like? How do we stop being silly? And this is all connected to that one massively important question, what is God-like? And this leads us to Philippians chapter 2. Follow along or read along Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being, in the, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, this is a description of a new human reality, a new way of life with others. Isn't this precisely what taking a knee is crying out for? Isn't this what Daniel Schmachtenberger is saying is our only hope? From prison, the Apostle Paul is writing the first Christians in the Roman colony of Philippi, a, a small and persecuted minority, calling them to make his joy complete 
by being united with Christ, partners with the Spirit of God. There is nothing, there is nothing like unified partnership with the purposes of God in the world that brings joy to the Christian leader's soul. This is the second partnership or fellowship shift in the letter to the Philippians. Uh, Back in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, there was a common sharing, a partnership in the gospel. That word is koinonia. It's the same word that shows up here now in common sharing in the spirit. It's koinonia. It's partnership. So to be the church is a partnership in the very being and nature of God. We share in the way God thinks and acts through the Holy Spirit. If the loving mind and action of God has impacted your life in any way, did you hear what I just said? If the loving mind and action of God has impacted your life in any way, then think and act like God. That's the point Paul's making. And if that's the point, then we better know what God is like. The small fellowship in Philippi is to be like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and mind or way of thinking. Do nothing from selfish ambition, conceit, pride, or rivalry. Humbly value others above yourselves. In fact, it's really talking about others surpassing me. Do not look only to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. To be in Christ is not a philosophy or even a new religion, but the way of God into a better world, a better place for other people, beginning with the small community that we can do something about. Is this not precisely what Colin Kaepernick took a knee for and Daniel Schmachtenberger is pleading for? Without God's way, we are just silly and playing the dying game. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is calling Christians to be dedicated to a new game altogether. A new kingdom with a new king. And this would all just be one big motivational talk. Make us all inspired and then perhaps make us aware of how powerless we are to do it all. If it were not for what Paul is saying next beginning at chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The new world we hope for is connected to precisely what God is like. Did you notice? It begins in your relationships with one another. That's where this begins. On this Easter morning, friends, this is where it begins. In your relationships with one another. Not in Israel's relationship with Palestine. Not in Canada's relationship with China. Not in Facebook's relationship with Australia. No, in your 
relationships with one another, in the way followers of Jesus live with one another, in the way followers of Jesus live in the world. It starts where you are. Yep, that's how tangible this is on Easter morning. The new world depends on having the same mindset, the same way of thinking that Jesus had. Jesus' way of thinking becomes the Christian way of thinking. How he acted because of his thinking becomes the Christian way of acting. Where Christians have acted out of a thinking that is not like Jesus, we should repent and admit that we've just been silly or worse. And so how did Jesus think? Hmm. Well, that's what Paul's outlining actually in this poetry of chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. And many scholars believe that this section of the letter was actually one of the first Christian praise songs that we have. So this is like a It's like a song of worship. It's what the early church sang to remind them about what God is like. That though he was God, though Jesus was God, he did not consider the powerful nature of God something to be used for his own advantage. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. The word means he was literally poured out. He poured out all his privilege, all his power, and took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He willfully surrendered his rights. Uh, He even, even what seemed right for God to do, he set that aside often. He washed his disciples' feet. The disciples didn't think in any way Jesus, the Son of God, should do that. He was silent before his accusers when he could have zapped them like a Marvel superhero. He boldly told Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. And then he submitted to Pilate's power. He was silent before the mocking of a thief on the cross, but he responded to the humility of the other thief. He humbled himself before the father when facing the cross and said, not my will, but yours be done. Done. He became obedient to death, even death. On a cross, the most humiliating way Romans figured out how to kill someone. He took a knee before his father in heaven and took the nails in obedience to his father's will. The self-emptying, suffering, sacrificial humility of God for the world. This is what God is like. Scripture reveals a God of love and power who humbles himself within his own being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in humility with one another. This otherworldly oneness is to become our oneness in this world. Jesus on the cross is the foremost sign of who God is. This is what the love, wisdom, and understanding of God looks like. Hey, world. Hey, world. This is the creator. This is the higher power. This is the holy God. This is Yahweh. And that cross day was Good Friday. But this is Easter. 
And so why did God exalt Jesus in resurrection? Well, the song gives the answer, beginning in verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why did God exalt Jesus to the highest place? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Jesus was exalted in resurrection because of his humility and obedience to the will of God. God was determined to break the power of sin that, would, that it held over creation, and it would only be by God giving himself that that power would be broken. And this is the good news. This is how your life can be transformed, how we can be saved by joining in that in humility and repentance. The humility of God is the power of God. The greatest laying down leads to the greatest rising up. And this is why Jesus is the name above every name. Kids, let's look back over here. Let's look at our egg. Who are the names that you've got written in there? You saw the ones that I've got. Well, Jesus is the name that is above every other name. So why don't you draw him in there? Jesus, Jesus is the name that is above every other name. He is the one who deserves all the praise and all the glory. And Christians have declared for all times and in all places that there is no other name by which people like us can be saved and made whole again. When Christians first sang this song, they were making a declaration that shook the world as they knew it. They were declaring that Jesus was above Caesar. And in a Roman colony, this was unthinkable. Christians declare that every knee will bow, but not just one knee in protest. No, we bow every knee. Every knee will bow. We bow both knees because in Christ, we see what God is like. We declare that even knees that choose to reject him and his way will one day finally surrender and acknowledge him. Have you done that? Isn't it time that you do? Your life will change. In that act of humility, you will be raised up. In Christ, the new reality has come and every language will name him Lord. You see, when this was written, we read it in English, but when this was written, English wasn't even a language. And yet here we are on both knees saying, Jesus Christ is Lord, the resurrected and exalted one to the glory of God the Father above every other name. And we are dedicated to his way in this world until he gets the final say to what or to whom. Do you 
take a knee. The exalted life is discovered not in self-exaltation, but in self-emptying. This is what the world is taking a knee in hopes of. And this is what the futurists are saying is our only hope. And Christians know, or we should know, that this is what God is like. And that this mindset, this way of thinking that leads to acting and living like this God in the smallest places is what it means to be the church. This is not about information. It is about transformation. It's not about adding to the silliness, but saving it from the gathering storm. This is the mindset that is to mark the Christian community. And all through history, simple, small, unlikely saints have told the story of this humility and exaltation of Jesus Christ. They embodied this way of God and they were the humble and the exalted community. And we are too. You are too. So let us take both knees and let us rise in love, wisdom, and the understanding of God for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. Let's just pause, just uh, where you are, kids, adults, whoever you're with, just pause in silence and consider him who is above every name. Consider who you actually bend a knee to. God, we worship you today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you who are at work in the world. Jesus, you who have risen from the dead. Holy Spirit, you in whom we are partners with for the sake of another reality being made real in this place where we live, among these people we are with, in this city we live, in this time that's so confusing and challenging. Rise us up through the humility of Jesus. We ask this in his mighty name. Amen. We're going to enjoy a song. Maybe you want to just sit back and soak this one in. Maybe you want to join along where you are. I believe. As we celebrate God's resurrection life today, what a perfect opportunity to declare in song what we believe together as a family, as a church. Let's sing this I believe.
song is really the declaration of what Christians are saying all over the world today and what they've said for centuries and centuries passed down through the story and the life, the way of being that the communities of the saints have embodied because of words like we've written, read together and pondered today. So let's keep doing the work, shall we? Future generations depend upon us depend upon you. So here's our discussion starter for today. Are you ready? Tell a story of you taking both knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell a story of you taking both knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Where, when, how have you learned to surrender yourself to his ways? Because every knee will bow, every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ, the risen one, is Lord to the glory of God the Father.